You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Let's look at Jeremiah 43 in your Bibles, please. And uh, we started this chapter uh, two weeks ago, and we got to verse number uh, seven. But just by way of review tonight, I won't go through all the details, of course, from these last few chapters. But the captivity has taken place. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has taken the captives to Babylon, and he let some people stay in the land. And we said that were, that were uh, some of the poor people, uh, some of those who did not own land, they did not own houses, and uh, God allowed them to stay. Nebuchadnezzar gave them the okay to stay in the land. And Jeremiah was given the choice. He said, you can go into captivity or you can stay in the land. And he said, I'll choose to stay in the land. And uh, I think that's probably what I would have chosen. Uh, you never know till you're in the situation. So then there's a man that is set up as the governor of Judah. Keep in mind, it's a, it's a war-torn, uh, it's destruction, it's a, it's a mess, but there's a man who's got to be in charge. And by the way, you, you've got to have somebody who's in charge, right? Uh, uh, try going to work tomorrow, and uh, if you're the boss, and just say, I'm not going to be the boss. I'm just going to let everybody do whatever they want to do. The employees may like it for a day or two, but uh, the, uh, the company's not going to do, do very well. Uh, try that in your home. Just say, you know what? I'm not going to be the dad. I'm not going to be the mom. I'm just going to let my kids do whatever they want to do. Um, uh, try, that, try that at the local jail. We don't, we, don't need, uh, we don't need a jailer. We don't need uh, guards. We don't need that. We'll just let them. They'll, they'll figure it out. Yeah, they'll figure it out. <laughs> O-U-T, they will be out of there. But Gedaliah is left in charge, and he's left in charge, and there's a man by the name of Ishmael who is conspiring to kill him. Johanan comes, and he warns Gedaliah, and uh, Gedaliah says, no, you're, you're, not lying. You're, you're lying to me, you're not telling the truth, and I don't believe you. And sure enough, Ishmael comes, he assassinates Gedaliah, all the people that were with him, and then Ishmael takes the remnant of the people, he takes a crowd of people, a huge crowd of people, and he flees with them. Uh, and, and tries to escape to Ammon. Well, Johanan came and overtook them, and he, uh, he was able to rescue that group of people. And now these people are trying to decide, what do we do? They should have gone back to Judah. That's where God had appointed them. That's where God had left them. But instead, they start to get scared. And they say, you know, we should go to Egypt. If we go down to Egypt, then we'll escape Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, we can go down to Egypt, and uh, we've heard things are good down there. Now, keep in mind, these are the same; these are the descendants of the same people that came out of Egypt because they said Egypt's terrible. We don't want to be here. And in that, just like us, sometimes we 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 get saved. God delivers us from the world. God delivers us from sin, and then sometimes we start thinking, you know, it wasn't so bad back there. Yes, it was. And you don't have to experience the world again to realize that that's not where you want to be. And so they make the decision to go back. Jeremiah says, don't do it. The word of God, we talked to you about it in Jeremiah 42. It was very clear. If you go down to Egypt, God said he will judge you. And then chapter 43, uh, verse number two, then all the men, it says all the proud men, 
They said to Jeremiah, verse number two, thou speakest falsely. The Lord ha hasn't sent you uh, to say, don't go to Egypt. You don't know what you're talking about. Verse four, uh, they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. In verse seven, it says, so they came into the land of Egypt, for they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. Here, they not only talked about it, but now they have acted upon their decision of disobedience. Can I remind you tonight, when God says, don't do something, don't even talk about doing it. Because if you talk about it long enough, you might convince yourself. And what do we know about ourselves? We have a heart, the Bible says, that is desperately wicked. We have a heart that is deceitful. Um, we, are, we are the experts at justifying something in our own lives that we would have never justified in somebody else's life, but because we're doing it, right? We know our reasons and, well, you know, people just don't really understand. Friend, I want to tell you, if God says don't do it, don't do it. It's not going to end well. But nonetheless, they talked about it, they convinced themselves, and they disobeyed God. They went to Egypt. Verse number eight. Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah in Tappanes, saying, that's down in Egypt, take great stones in thine hand and hide them in the clay in the brick kiln or the brickwork there, which is at the entry of Pharaoh's house in Tappanes, in the sight of the men of Judah. And say unto them, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will send and take Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. Now, that always amazes me when you see that God refers to Nebuchadnezzar as his servant, okay? This is before uh, Nebuchadnezzar's conversion. This is before we get to the events of, of Daniel chapter 4 where Nebuchadnezzar says, now I praise and extol the God of Daniel. But God uses an unsaved, heathen, wicked ruler and God uses him for a purpose. That's one reason why I don't think we should panic if we ever have somebody in authority that is not godly, that is not doing what God has said and all that. Now, I think we ought to vote for leaders that are as close to Christian as possible, as close to right as possible. But if you ever have somebody who maybe you say that's not a good leader, maybe you say the president or a governor or, uh, uh, you know, a, a mayor or whatever, and I'm not, I'm not talking about anybody specifically, but I'm just saying this. Did you know that God is still in control? The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. God was still working through Nebuchadnezzar, the very king who had come and had destroyed Jerusalem and carried captives away. That was all part of God's plan. And so now God says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and I will set his throne upon these stones that I have hid. And he shall spread his royal pavilion over them. And when he cometh, he shall smite the land of Egypt and deliver such as are for death to death and such as are for captivity to captivity and such as are for the sword to the sword. We'll come back to verse 12, but does it sound like the people of Judah got away? <laughs> does it sound like that they escaped and they're going to be okay now because they did it their own way? Oh, no. 
God says judgment's coming to you even in Egypt. Fire and sword and, and captivity's coming. Verse 12, and I will kindle a fire in the houses of the gods of Egypt. As if God is saying, you want to trust in the gods of Egypt? I got news for you. I'm going to burn those houses down to the ground. They're not going to help you. They're not going to save you. And carry them away captives. And he shall array himself with the land of Egypt as a shepherd. Putteth on his garment. And he shall go forth from thence in peace. And he shall break also the images of Beshemesh that is in the land of Egypt. And the houses of the gods of the Egyptians shall he burn with fire. Lord, speak to us as we look at this passage of Scripture. Uh, Lord, I've never preached from this passage before. I've read it many times. I've taught from it a, a time or two, but pretty much just skimmed over it. But Lord, I've been amazed to see the truths and the lessons found in these verses. And I pray that you'd help me to convey these truths today to these dear people. I thank you for our church. Thank you for the faithfulness of your people to come. And Lord, I uh, am, am not here tonight to try to entertain anybody. I'm not here to try to, uh, to, to capture everyone's attention with my great abilities tonight, but I certainly want to deliver your message. And I certainly need you, Holy Spirit, to speak to hearts and to show us areas in our lives that we uh, need to correct, some areas we need to strengthen. And I pray that you'd speak to us in these few moments we're together. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice in verse 8, the Bible tells us that God spoke to Jeremiah in Tappanese. That was the place where the king of Egypt had his palace. I'm so thankful that God still speaks whether you are at home or whether you're away from home, whether you're in your comfort zone like we talked about on uh, Sunday night, or if you're out of your comfort zone, if you're in wealth, if you're in poverty, if you're in sickness, if you're in health. I'm so glad that God can still speak and the word of God is not silenced and God's power is not limited even when others make choices that affect you. Now keep in mind, Jeremiah did not choose to go to Egypt. Many of these people did not make the choice, but the leadership chose to take the remnant and go into Egypt, but yet God still spoke even in Egypt. Aren't you glad that God still speaks in the United States of America? No matter who the president is, no matter who the governor is, uh, no matter if the media is, is against God, no matter if it seems like Hollywood is, is, is against God, it seems like there's people that are trying to fight against God, aren't you glad that God still speaks and His Word is still relevant today? I'm so thankful for the Word of God that we have. God spoke to Jeremiah. But then we see in verse number 9, God commanded Jeremiah to go and to take some stones. Now, these are obviously not pebbles because it says these were great stones. Uh, they were obviously big enough to be called great, but they were small enough that Jeremiah could carry them. But God told Jeremiah, he said, I want you to take some stones and I want you to go to the place where the king's palace is in Egypt and I want you to hide them in the brickwork. Now, I don't know if that meant that Jeremiah had to literally pull apart some of the brick and some of the wall and, and tuck them in there. I don't know if he put them in a corner. I don't know if he kind of put them under the ground. I don't know how he did it, but God said, I want you to do this. And here's the reason, because in verse number 10, God said that he was going to send Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar was going to actually set up his palace. 
Now, they used the word pavilion, which literally was a canopy. Uh, when a king would travel, they would often use something very ornate or something elegant so that the, the king would be protected from the sun and protected from the elements. And, and literally, the king's pavilion was going to be set up right on the very spot where Jeremiah took those stones and placed them. It says in verse number 11 that when, Pharaoh, uh, when uh, Nebuchadnezzar came, that he would smite Pharaoh. He would smite the land of Egypt. Verse 12 says that he would set fire to the houses of the gods of Egypt. Verse 13, he would break the images, all of their idols, all of the houses of the gods he would burn with fire. And Jeremiah makes it very clear uh, to the people from the word that came from God, it's made very clear that God always gets the last word. And I want to remind you, it doesn't matter how bad it may seem. It doesn't matter how difficult times may be. And, and I, I, I say that, I say that, and I hope we understand, we've got it really good compared to most of the world. We've got it really good compared to times in the past where people were burned at the stake for their faith, where people were tortured, uh, read uh, uh, Hebrews 11 and see how uh, people, they, the Bible says they were sawn in sunder. Uh, they were, they were uh, crucified. And of course, Jesus himself and then Peter was going to be crucified. He said, I'm not worthy to die like my Lord. And historians tell us that he was crucified upside down. The apostle John who survived and gave us the book of Revelation, the apostle John, he was thrown into a boiling pot of oil that should have killed him. But miraculously, God spared his life because he had a purpose for him. I'll tell you, we've got it good in the United States of America, do we not? Um, uh, we're, we're doing okay. But when it seems like things may be difficult or when it seems like things may be hard, I want to tell you tonight that God always gets the last word. And we've read the last chapter of the book, have we not? And we know that we are on the winning side. And we know that we have victory in Jesus. Now, that's the message. Now, here's the thought I want you to take home. Would you notice with me, I'd never seen this before. I'd never, I'd, it's been there, I've seen it. I've, it's just never spoken to me like it did this week. Do you see what God tells Jeremiah to do? He says, I want you to take some stones and I want you to do it in the sight of all the people. I want everybody to see what you're doing. And I want you to take those stones and I want you to hide them there in the brickwork there at the palace in Egypt. I don't know how many stones, it doesn't say, but he took some stones. I want you to hold your place in Jeremiah 43 and I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. Usually when we think about stones, we think about it in a good way. We think about it like a memorial. We think about stones that were used for an altar. Many times there were 12 stones, as we see in Joshua 13, and they represented a memorial of something good. Here in Joshua chapter 3, the Bible tells us that the children of Israel are crossing the Jordan River. And as they are crossing the Jordan River, the Bible says in chapter 3 that they got over they followed the priests that were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, they, they had to step into the water one step at a time. And as they stepped in, the waters parted. 
Everybody got across. And when they got across, notice Joshua 4 and verse number 2. Joshua, the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man, and command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. It says also in verse number uh, 10 that where the ark uh, was placed and where the ark was resting in the Jordan River that they were also to take 12 stones and place them in the middle of the river as a memorial. So when their children got older and they say, hey, what are these stones about? What's the purpose for these stones? they would be able to tell their children, hey, this is what God did. This was the miraculous work that God did in helping us to cross over. Now, I want to ask you tonight about a few things. I want to talk about a few stones that I see in Scripture. One, and we're coming back to Joshua 3 and Jeremiah 43, so, so hold your place there. I see in the Bible, one, that there are some stones of victory. You know, every Christian needs to pick up some stones of victory. You say, well, what are the stones of victory? I don't mean you have to go out in Victory Baptist Church and pick up the rocks, you know, out of the yard. Although if you see a rock where there's grass, you can pick that up, that'd be good. But a stone of victory, I think about David and Goliath. Do you remember what was it that God used to destroy and defeat that giant? It was one smooth stone. That's all it took. Now David picked up how many stones? He picked up five because Goliath had some brothers, and I think David was ready to take on the whole crowd if he got the chance. But he picked up a stone, and that stone was used of God for victory. The Bible tells us in the book of Judges that there were some men that, that uh, before uh, David's time, there were some men that the Bible says they could take a stone and they could sling the stone at a hairbreadth and not miss. Now, can I tell you, that's pretty impressive. I will say this. I don't know if David, if that was passed down and David one day said, you know, I'd like to be like those guys from Judges and I'd like to learn how to do that. But I'll tell you this. If I had to sling a stone, I'd rather be slinging a stone at a target on the wall than at a 10-foot giant who's got armor and sword and he's not happy. You know what I mean? Uh, how many of you that have ever taken target practice know it's easier to hit a stationary target than a moving target? I thought you might raise your hand, Brother Chuck. Can I tell you? And especially when the target is moving and it's shooting back at you, right? Especially when that target is not happy with you. But yet David, the Bible says that he took those stones, he took his sling, and the Bible says he ran towards the giant. Can I tell you, God used a stone of victory in David's life. That stone of victory, I believe, represents faith. For David, it was all about faith. For David, it was all about believing that God was able to bring down that giant. And can I tell you, there may be some stones tonight that you need to pick up and you need to sling those stones for victory. Maybe there's, maybe there's some giants in your life. Maybe there's some, some enemies in your life that you're not gonna bring them down on your own. David didn't go and try to, you know, kick him, in the, kick him in the shins or he didn't go and try to bite his arm. David said, nope, I'm going to take this stone of faith and I'm going to sling this stone. 
and God gave victory. I don't know what needs to be defeated in your life and who needs to be, uh, uh, get the victory tonight, but I want to say this, it's going to take some stones of victory that come by faith. Number two, I see in the Bible, there's a stone of validity. The stone of validity, it says in Ephesians chapter two, and it says in 1 Peter, I'll read you the verse in 1 Peter chapter two and verse number six, it says, wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the same, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. It tells us in Ephesians 2, we have a, a further explanation. It says Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. The stone of validity is our foundation. You're going to need a stone in your life that you are going to build your entire life on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one that gives you validity. Without your life being built on Jesus Christ, you're not going to make it through the storms. You're not going to make it through the trials. Remember the parable in Matthew 7, where the Bible tells us the story of the wise man and the foolish man? The only thing that separated those two was that one had the foundation that was built on the rock. And I want to tell you, sometimes it's easy to get wrapped up in stuff and it's easy to get wrapped up in things, and it's easy to get wrapped up on what so-and-so gonna think and what so-and-so doing. Well, I'll tell you this, if your life is built on Christ, you don't have to worry what anybody else is doing. But if your life is not built on Christ, it's not gonna make it. There must be a stone of validity, a foundation, which is Jesus Christ. You don't move the foundation to fit the house, but you move the house to get on the foundation. And I'd encourage you to get your life founded and grounded and built upon Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. I see in Scripture number three, we're getting somewhere here. Number three, I see there's a stone of value. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3? I know I've had you hold a lot of places there. Uh, but if you run out of fingers, you could always, you know, put one of your toes up there just to hold. No, 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 don't do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. But then it talks about building on the foundation, verse 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, there it is, wood, hay, or stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by, what's that word? fire. You see, at the judgment seat of Christ, all of our works are going to be tried or, or judged with fire. And at the judgment seat of Christ, if our works were done in the flesh, it'll all burn up. We're going we're gonna to be saved. We're going to be in heaven. Praise God for that. But all of the things we thought we were going to be rewarded for, God's going to say, you did it in your flesh. You did it for the wrong reasons. You did it to try to impress people. You did it to try to uh, uh, get a pat on the back, but that's not why we're living, folks. We're not living to please man. We're living to please God. And those works that are done in the power of the Holy Spirit and those works done for the right reasons, those works will be wood, uh, will be gold, silver, and precious stones. These are the stones 
of value. It is stones that are, are, are made by faithfulness. For those of you in here that have a, a ring, and if you have a diamond on that ring, you know, that diamond uh, is not necessarily very big compared to rocks you could find out in the out, out, outside, but that is very valuable. That rock, that stone is very precious. It's, uh, it's worth something. But you know, a diamond is not formed easily. If you've ever studied diamonds, and I, I haven't, I've studied them in years past, but I just jotted down a couple things. But you know, most diamonds are found over a hundred miles below the earth's surface. So needless to say, you don't need to go out in your backyard and be digging for diamonds. That's where most of them are formed. Most diamonds are formed with temperatures greater than 2,200 degrees Fahrenheit. Most diamonds are formed under pressure of 750,000 PSI. And I tell you, that's pretty deep. That's pretty hot. That's a lot of pressure. And you know our Christian lives, you know how our Christian lives are formed? Our Christian lives are formed under pressure. Anybody can live for God when things are going good, right? Anybody can live for God when you don't have a care in the world or I don't have a care in the world. But the pressure, the trials, and the heat Sometimes the darkness and, and you feel like you're in the depths and you feel like you're getting buried under all this stuff. That's when our faithfulness comes through. That's when we find out if we really love God or if we just love the stuff God's been given us. But there are stones of value. Those stones of value will be determined. Those stones will be on display at the judgment seat of Christ. But lastly, tonight, I want you to see, and this is where we're going from Jeremiah 43 and Joshua 3, there needs to be some stones, there need to be some stones of vision. That's the future. You see, you're going to have to determine the memorials that you're going to leave for your children, for your grandchildren, and you can choose to leave a memorial like Joshua chapter 3 where you cross a Jordan River and you see God do something miraculous, you can leave one like that. I'd like to leave one like that. Or you can leave a memorial like Jeremiah 43 where it says, don't do what I did. Don't disobey God like we did. Don't experience the judgment of God like we did. You see, in Joshua 3, it's obedience. But in Jeremiah 43, it's disobedience. Joshua 3, they crossed the Jordan River just like God said. Jeremiah 43, they went down into Egypt contrary to what God had said. In Joshua 3, they were at the Jordan River and, and, and God said, you got to step in the water and you got to go through. And they took a step of faith and one step at a time and they obeyed God and they followed the leading of God. They followed the Ark of the Covenant, that was obedience. I want to leave some memorials of obedience for people to follow. I don't want to leave the memorials of disobedience. But then in Joshua 3, it's a memorial of faith. It took faith to cross that Jordan River. You know why it took faith? Because that Jordan River 
is what was protecting them from all the Canaanites, all those giants, all those people they were afraid of. And I understand maybe the giants could have crossed the river, but how many of you know that a river, if nothing else, it's a psychological barrier? I promise you there are people in this room uh, that uh, if you live over on uh, the, the Gaston side, now you have to come over here, you know, for, you know, your shopping or whatever, but if you didn't have to come, you'd just stay on that side of the river. The children of Israel, they felt safer. They felt safer when they were on the other side of the river, but now they're wandering into enemy territory. That took some faith. The children of Judah in Jeremiah 43, their decision to go to Egypt was not a decision of faith, but it was a decision of fear. And then the decision to cross the Jordan River I believe, was a decision of humility. The people said, we can't do it on our own, but God, we're trusting you. As a matter of fact, there was so much humility, they couldn't even cross the Jordan River until God started parting the water. They couldn't even walk across unless God did a miracle. But in Jeremiah 43, it was a decision of pride. He said, we know what God said. We know that God said, don't go into Egypt, but we're going to do it anyway. I don't know what kind of stones you are placing in your life and for your family and for your children and grandchildren and generations to come, but I'd like to build a memorial like Joshua 3, a memorial of faith and a memorial of obedience. I'd like to have some stones of vision, a vision for the future, a vision of what I believe God wants me to do. I'll tell you this, memorials are not built accidentally. Memorials are always built intentionally. I'll tell you what I mean. If you go driving down the road, and on the side of the road, there is a pile of rocks. I mean, a huge pile of rocks. Somebody put them there, right? They didn't get up and walk there themselves. Rocks don't jump, right? Rocks don't roll on their own unless they're going downhill, maybe. But somebody put them there. And I hope that in five years or 10 years or 20 years or however long the Lord tarries and He allows us to live here and be a part of this ministry, I hope that there'll be some people come by and say, there's a life that's a memorial. There's a life that is a testimony for somebody that obeyed God, for somebody that was faithful to God even in the pressure. I don't know if the Lord has helped you tonight, but I know the Lord's helped me. And I hope that we will build some memorials like Joshua 3 and not leave memorials like Jeremiah 43. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.